Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. Celebrating the amazing people of coastal Mississippi and across this great state who are working hard to make this a great place to live, work, and play. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk 103.1. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show. I hope you're doing well as we uh, progress toward Memorial Weekend. Uh, what a special time of the year this is. And I appreciate you joining us here on the show as we celebrate coastal Mississippi. I have a, a couple of quotes I want to share with you, and then we'll get to Jeff Duncan. Um, I was preparing for my outdoor show that actually airs on Memorial Day. And uh, I'm going to share, I think, probably four different quotes and uh, here, here are just two of the three of them as we enter into Memorial Day weekend. Um, I think it's, we have to remind ourselves what this is all about. This is a quote from John F. Kennedy. He said, as we express our gratitude, we must never forget the highest appreciation is not to utter words, but to live by them. Not to utter words, but to live by them. Man, that is, that is so true. That is so true. And then this one from Ronald Reagan. And if words cannot repay the debt we owe these men, surely with our actions we must strive to keep faith with them and with the vision that led them to battle and to final sacrifice. That's what Memorial uh, Day and Memorial Weekend is all about. We should keep that in our in our you know top of mind during this coming weekend. I hope you have great plans for what is going to be a beautiful weekend. So now let's uh, shift gears and move over to my friend Jeff Duncan, who uh, is a columnist, award-winning columnist on the Hall of Fa- NFL Hall of Fame Selection Committee and uh, worked with, with uh, NOLA.com and the Times Speaking Union, a good friend. Jeff, how are you doing, my friend? Ricky, I'm doing great. Good to be with you, bud. So what's your plans for the weekend? Working all weekend, unfortunately. <laughs> I think we've talked about it. Uh, you know, we talked on air uh, before we went on air, I mean, we're getting into the final stages of the Gleason book. Um, have to deliver that in mid-June. So we're pretty much, our team on that project is pretty much 24-7 right now. You know, Jeff, it's interesting. I was listening to a podcast the other day. I don't even remember who the guest was. It's not coming to mind immediately. But what's interesting is that the conversation went to it was national sports figures. It went to a discussion of they both happened to have been in the dome on t- in 2006 when the, when after Hurricane Katrina, the Superdome reopened. I was, uh, as you and I have discussed before, I was there as well. And they talked about how it was just a life-changing experience to be there in that moment. Uh, and and then, of course, you know, who, who can own the moment in the Superdome for that game more than Steve Gleason and then to see how things transpired after that. And now here you are writing his book. So to go back to that time in the Dome and what we experienced in the Dome then and to see where you are now finishing up, you know, the, in the final weeks of this book, it's almost surreal, isn't it? Yeah, I can remember that that night very clearly. It's one that's always going to stand out in my mind and my career. Uh, it was much bigger than just a football game. I don't think people that 
uh, weren't there can really truly appreciate uh, the magnitude of that game. It was much more than just a regular season game. The NFL gave it the Monday night platform. Um, you know, you had U2 and Green Day playing before the game. I mean, that's like a Super Bowl lineup of musical entertainment. The Goo Goo Dolls were outside the dome. Uh, there was just such great fanfare and pageantry and such great anticipation for the game. If you remember uh, back then, they were repairing the dome from the Katrina damage. And there was basically like a large banner on the side of the Superdome every day with kind of a countdown to when the opener would start. So everyone that drove around downtown New Orleans would see that that countdown banner and uh, the, just the, the anticipation and expectation for that game building up in the city. And then, you know, how it played out with that punt block a minute and a half into the game, Ricky. And that, that's another thing I think sometimes people forget. It happened so quickly early in the game. I mean, the the national anthem was barely getting over with and people were settling in their seats. And all of a sudden you had this big crescendo moment of a touchdown punt block. Uh, that doesn't happen very often a minute and a half into the game. So it was kind of a spectacular start. Well, I remember, I remember the music that so well, the music before the game started that set the tone. It really set a tone. You felt like something really special was happening and you're right. We didn't even take a good deep breath before that that punt block happened. And let's fast forward. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. You're going to say I was, something. I, don't want to I was going to say you just yeah. don't see a punt block that early in a game. I mean, punt blocks are rare to begin with. Steve Gleason's the all-time leader in Saints history in punt blocks. He's got four. I mean, that's how rare it is to punt to block a punt. So to see it a minute and a half into a game just, uh, I think, took everyone's breath away and uh, really – set the momentum in favor of the Saints. Really, the Falcons had no chance in that game. I mean, the the emotion in the stadium, uh, the early lead, uh, Mike Vick was on the run all night, and uh, the Saints improved to 3-0 after that. And if we were talking about this the other day at Saints um, uh, organized team activity practice at the OTA practice. I was talking with um, Bobby Bear. That Saints team in 2006, Ricky, was not that good. I mean, they... They really were about a 500 team, but they got off that quick start, rode that early momentum and emotion from the 2006, uh, you know, uh, reopening of the dome, and then they kind of went 500 the rest of the year. They they slipped into the NFC Championship game the first time ever, but they really weren't that good, and that played out the next two years. They were seven and nine, eight and eight, and then they finally got it got it together and won the Super Bowl. You know, it's interesting that that really noted sports figures who were there present for that game. Many of them, when asked, "What is the most significant sports moment you ever uh, personally experienced?" they and they've been to Super Bowls and all these other big events. They often will say the reopening of the Superdome. You know, it wasn't even a Super Bowl. Just just knowing that something about that moment was so special, so different. And I personally will never forget it. I, I don't, you know, what I, you know, one of the things I remember is, you know, the certainly the emotion was how loud it was. I don't think I've ever experienced a Superdome that loud. Do you have you ever experienced that before? The only other game that compared was the the NFC Championship game in 2009 with the Vikings. Uh, that game was an entire crescendo game long. A level of, you know, there was just so much pressure on the Saints to win that. They didn't play that well, and they still won the game, uh, you know. So uh, I felt like that game and the reopening of the Dome, there was just so much emotion there that night. You know, if you remember, the first, I think, thousand people into the Dome were first responders. There was 
very much a tribute to the people who, you know, uh, came and sacrificed to help rebuild the city after the storm. So there was a lot of emotion, a lot more than just a football game. And you could feel it in the dome that night. And uh, like I said, Atlanta really had no chance. I'm Jim Moore Jr. was the coach then. He's talked about it. Uh, you know, he grew up being a Saints fan. He said, look, even even for me, it was a pretty special night and, and we lost the game. Amazing moment. Uh, and here you are writing Steve's book and you're in the final weeks. How's it going? Well, we're, we're, we're going. I don't know if we're going to get there or not. I think we're going to make the deadline. But uh, no, it's been an extraordinary experience. We've talked about it a lot on the program. Uh, I'm honored and grateful to get a chance to do this. Uh, you know, what, what I've seen in this last year and a half working with Steve are the same traits that led him to have, you know, an eight-year NFL career after being undrafted. And he ends up being, like I said, the all-time leading punt blocker in the history of the franchise, was a team captain, uh, a guy that everyone looked to on those special teams. Uh, he did that through the same traits he's using now, exhausting himself in this book process, his work ethic, his drive, uh, his attention to detail uh, has been extraordinary to watch. And uh, I think it's going to be a remarkable book when, when it finally comes out. I thought about Steve last night. I, I was watching, there's a new uh, movie documentary about Michael J. Fox on Apple Plus called Steel. And Ann and I watched it. And uh, the, the, the feeling that you get after, having, after watching that is that the thing that has enabled Michael J. Fox to sort of get through this, and you see his struggles. And I understand that Steve has ALS, and that's different than Parkinson's. But still, the, the way it's ravaging his body is his attitude, the way he has looked at it, the way he's kept his sense of humor, the way that he doesn't want people to feel sorry for him, the way his family has, has accepted that and, and moved on. It's just a really inspiring, uh, it's a really inspiring story of Michael J. Fox and how, you know, how you view your situation is, is how you're going to get through it. That's Steve's story, isn't it? Yeah, I tell you, that's a good point, Ricky. Uh, I think as much as a physical challenge as ALS is, it's really is, is every bit as big a mental challenge same thing probably with Michael J. Fox. It's how you how you take your um, you know your mindset into the disease, uh, and that's what Steve has been. It's been extraordinary to see him. I mean, we're coming up in January to be 13 years that he's lived with this disease. He's one of only. I haven't been able to document exactly how many yet, but it's it's fewer than a score that have lived this long with this disease. So what we're seeing here is pretty exceptional. And uh, Steve has no plans on slowing down anytime soon. He's going to be here as long as he can. Listen, uh, when we come back with Jeff, the uh, NFL uh, made a bylaws change that enabled them to suit up an emergency quarterback. Uh, we'll get Jeff to explain what that's all about. And we'll see what the latest is at the Saints. We'll see you after this. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of The Ricky Matthews Show on your laptop, desktop, or your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. 
His passion and love for coastal Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk 103.1. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. Excuse me, I have my friend Jeff Duncan with us. And Jeff, before we get to the Saints, just one one other comment. I was listening to... a, a segment of a podcast between Joe Rogan and Jelly Roll. And, you know, if people haven't heard that conversation, Jelly Roll, his story is just truly remarkable. But uh, but in it, they had they got into the they got into a conversation about people finding their purpose, you know, and I've been lucky in my career, to be honest with you, Jeff, that I have uh, many times, many junctures during my career that I found I felt I felt like I was in a moment that I found my found my purpose. That's what helped me get through some difficult times along the way. I feel like I found my purpose, you know, in retirement doing this show, the opportunity to educate people and celebrate and have interesting conversations and talk about talk about other people finding their purpose. You know, Steve found Steve Gleason found his purpose even in ALS and that is to inspire people about life and inspire them really about life and living. In a way, you kind of found your purpose, buddy. I've watched you, you know, in your time as a columnist, your work in covering professional sports and other important, you know, sports moments, your work with Steve. Do you feel like you found your purpose? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I found it uh, covering Katrina, to be honest with you, because it really puts sports into perspective. Uh, You know, I was that guy grinding away on the depth chart and wondering who's going to you know, make the team and worried about the stats. And uh, boy, once you, you know, in, in be, have that experience with something of the magnitude of Hurricane Katrina, it really puts into perspective sports and, um, you know, covering the storm, covering the aftermath um, and seeing the recovery of the city and the region. Uh, yeah, that, that was a profound experience. It really changed the way I cover sports. I really try to cover it more as a human interest topic than I do just the actual game itself the x's and o's aren't that big a deal to me anymore because i understand where sports is at in in our lives you know one other, one last point about that joe rogan made the point that it's sad that some people have to grind it out every day knowing that what they're doing is not related to their mission or purpose in life and his and his point is that if you feel that, you know, live your dream, pursue your dream, take the risk. Don't let people tell you you can't do it. Go for it. Don't don't wake up 20 years from now and have regret that you had a dream of a purpose in life and you didn't pursue it and you just kind of grinded it out and didn't feel like you left the legacy the way that you felt like you can. Uh, he just said pursue it. And the other point is it doesn't matter how old you are. Just, just go for it. And... Um, there's something about finding that moment in your life, finding that mission in your life that is very fulfilling. And it don't, doesn't always involve money and material things. Sometimes it's just about having the opportunity to to, to uh, touch others and help others. So anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, doctors told Steve when he was diagnosed with ALS that the people that have success in life with this disease and tend to live longer with it, of the ones that find a purpose and have a reason to keep living. And Steve quickly identified that with Team Gleason and being a, a beacon of hope for people that are stricken with the disease and also uh, deciding to have a family with uh, his wife, Michelle, and becoming an involved and active parent to Rivers and Gray. Uh, those two things, I think, have kept him 
uh, very driven and very much involved in, in having a very successful, purpose, purpose-filled life. I can't wait to read the book because, as we've discussed many times, it's a book about determination and living life. It's not a book about ALS. And um, it should, it's going to be very inspiring, and I can't wait to read it. So, Jeff, you heard what I mentioned at the beginning, excuse me, at the end of the last segment about this bylaws change that enables them to suit up an emergency quarterback. Um, you know, any strategic implications of that? Well, I mean, it's really the Brock Purdy rule, if you remember last year in the NFC playoffs when the 49ers lost their quarterbacks right away. They didn't really, they were down to, uh, having to maybe play a wide receiver. And there's really th- – these are some of the adjustments I think the league's going to continue to have uh, with the roster because of injuries, because of uh, the way the game is going. I-, I would like to see them expand and do away with the 45-man uh, active roster. I-, I see that's an archaic rule. I could see them changing that one day to where you have 60 players, 60 – you know, however many on the roster, 53 players – active on game days because the injuries have gotten we, we know more about the human body now than we did 30 40 years ago and understand injuries better and uh th- this was a rule that was put in decades ago that really doesn't have a place i think in today's game so i could see some more adjustments coming from the competition committee to allow the game to be better a better product for the viewers at home I've read a lot about the voluntary workouts and um, and perceptions of Carr on the field and off the field and in the news conferences. What, what's your read on, on him in these early stages? Well, you know, I, I've said a lot about that recently. Like, I don't really care what's going on on the field right now. I mean, basically, they're just running through, uh, you know, in shorts and non-padded drills. They're just learning the offense right now, really implementing it to the newcomers like Carr, like the rookies, like the new players. And this is just the first installment of the offensive and defensive schemes. So there's not a lot to, to, to grade. They're not really tackling. They're not doing anything that's really football-wise. So it's it, it, trying to evaluate on-field performance. Uh, I'll wait to training camp. But I'll say this about him. He's in control of the offense. He understands what it, what it means to be an NFL starting quarterback, being the franchise player, carries himself – with that same kind of bravado, uh, he's very humble in front of the cameras. I was very impressed with his press conference. I mean, expansive in his answers, self-deprecating, kind of a, a lighthearted in some instances. All the good stuff you want to see if you're a reporter covering the team. Uh, now, we'll see what happens when they have a, a tough loss if he's like that. But right now, uh, he's been very impressive. And I can see why the Saints pursued him in, in free agency. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's quite entertaining, actually. What I mean, he's uh, he he kind of put on a show a little bit, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, I think he's very happy here. Uh, you know, things didn't go that well for him with the Raiders. Uh, he went through a number of different coaching changes there. It's a very similar offense. I'm writing about that this weekend, uh, Ricky. The offensive system he ran with the Raiders is almost identical to what the Saints run here. I mean, and it makes sense. I mean, John Gruden was the coach there where he had his best years, and John Gruden taught this offensive system to Sean Payton, which is the one Pete Carmichael runs here. So it should be a very seamless transition for him. Right now they're just trying to cherry-pick what he likes, what he doesn't like, and kind of meshing the offense to his skill set. And that's going to be an ongoing process, but it all started this past week. I was kind of a fan of John Gruden. Do you think he's uh, banished? 
No, no, I don't think he's managed at all. As a matter of fact, he's with the Saints this week. He's out here uh, kind of overseeing that that uh, matchmaking process between the offense and Derek Carr. Really? Yeah, nice. brings a little news for you there, Ricky. Well, tell me more about that. Well, I think the Saints brought him in. They brought him in to try and, uh, you know, marry up these offense, this offense with this quarterback. And uh, it shows you the relationship that Derek Carr and John Gruden have. Of course, John Gruden goes back a ways with the Saints and Mickey Loomis and, and the staff here. Uh, he, he used to come in as a consultant with the Saints when Sean Payton was here. So it, it makes a lot of sense to bring him in and pick his brain uh, because these two offenses are very similar. So, uh, you know, that, that news is not out there, but uh, it will be now and it will be in my column this weekend. Hey, so look, here's the deal, though. Uh, does that mean that there's maybe some possibility he could come in as a play caller? No, 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 no. That's This is just strictly, I think, consultant work, uh, coming in, putting another set of eyes on the offense and the team in general as a, as a former head coach. It happens a lot. I mean, Sean Payton brought in Tom Coughlin before. He's he's done that over the years. It, it goes on around the league, uh, you know, where, where you bring in another set of eyes and ears uh, and just get their thoughts on, on how the operation's running. I love the idea of it. <laughs> Love the idea of it. Um, you know, I learned a lot about f- football watching him sit down with quarterbacks. You know, young quarterbacks in, in that in that ESPN program that he had. But um, he he was uh, he was good at it. And I, I'm assuming that he and Carr had terrific uh, chemistry. Yeah, I mean, Carr had his best years under Gruden, so that's why I think the Saints are excited because he played in the same similar system, and uh, you know, he excelled in it. And they think they've got a better supporting cast here than he had with the Raiders. Now, he had some great players with the Raiders. I mean, Darren Waller was a a Pro Bowl tight end, and they had some great receivers, a great running back, and Josh Jacobs. So he had talent around him, but the offensive line was not as strong as it is here, and that's a big key for Derek Carr. You have to protect Derek Carr. I mean, that's one thing where he struggles. It's noted in his statistics. uh, When he doesn't get protected, he tends to make mistakes. Most quarterbacks do. But the Saints are confident with their veteran offensive line, the talent they have and the investment they've made up front and the playmakers that they've got around him, that he'll be able to just operate this offense. And the big key, and I'm going to write about that this weekend as well, is he's going to be good at getting them in and out of plays at the line of scrimmage the way Drew Brees did. They haven't had success with that the last couple of years. That's something Derek Carr excels in. He's also he's also got a very quick release, doesn't he? Yes, and he's got a big-time arm. I mean, people don't realize he's got a big – he's got great arm talent. So an upgraded quarterback in the most important position, there's no question about it. How much of an upgrade, I don't know. But right now, the early signs are all positive. Well – I'm gonna I'm gonna start an effort to recruit uh, John Gruden as a play caller. <laughs> okay. Hey Jeff, it's been a pleasure. It's been Jeff Duncan from Nola.com and the Times Picayune. We'll see you after this break. Subscribe for free to the Ricky Matthews Show podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.